Today's readings are Luke chapter 5, 4 through 11, and John 21, 1 through 19. They can be found on pages 494 and 1001 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. Luke 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. John 21. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee... It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymusa, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they did. <clears throat> and they did. We'll go with you, they said. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me.
the word of the Lord. Thank you, Karen. I invite you to pray with me. Our good and gracious God, we hear those last words, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And um, we might sit here feeling like we've answered that call a long time ago and we have been following you. We might feel like we're sitting here and we, we, we're new to that kind of language. We don't associate ourselves yet with the person that gets asked to follow Jesus. Or maybe we're on the cusp of it. We sense a sort of call against our, our greatest defenses that we put up that there is, a, there is a voice and a whisper coming through saying, follow me, wherever we find ourselves. Whether we come with doubt or faith, sadness or celebration, um, whether we're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death or we're amidst the cusp of new life, we come and sit in these chairs And the truth is, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. None of us has it together as much as we'd like people to think. All of us are dominated more by pride in our ego than we want to admit. So we're more of a mess than we care to admit. And the story of your grace from the Bible keeps telling us over and over again, the story of Jesus is we're more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. So we are more broken, we are more of a mess, but at the same time, your love has, has won over, over our mess, victorious in our life. If only we could hold those two things together, and we pray that this time of listening for your voice would be a time where you help us hold together in some way both our unworthiness and the elevated place that you've placed us, just, just swamped in your love. Bring your love through my own words and the words of this text. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, as we walk along in the season that is normally filled with stories about Jesus and his life, the season after Christmas, where you kind of work your way towards the end of the life of Jesus, we're dealing with characters in the life of Jesus, key characters. And... Um, <laughs> So we had uh, Mary Magdalene on the first week. We had uh, the woman at the well last week, and this week we have Peter. Peter. And one of the books I found helpful is by Ben Witherington III, and this is a quote from his book. Familiarity breeds contempt, it has sometimes been said. But in the case of Peter, it seems to have bred adoration and a glossing over his faults and the real role he played in the early church. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to him, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Matthew 16. But primarily on that, based primarily on that text, an early tradition grew up that Peter was the first pope of the Christian church. Despite our best efforts, however, historians have been unable to verify that he was either the first pope or the bishop of Rome, or even the primary apostle in Rome when he finally got there perhaps sometimes in the, sometime in the 60s. The evidence of the New Testament strongly suggests that the church in Rome had existed for quite some time before Peter even darkened the door. So who is this Peter person, and how do we, you know, how do we understand him? 
There's, uh, you know, there's like over 200 references to Peter in the New Testament, which is way beyond any of the other main characters that follow Jesus. Um, the closest is, I think, in the high 30s of the next, next most frequent character mention. So Peter, it, it means that people in church, that some of you have, who have experience in church, that you would have a lot of understanding of Peter. You've heard stories or sermons related to Peter. How many of you can say for sure you can remember, you can remember pretty sure you've heard a sermon about Peter? at some point, like a message. A lot of you, yeah. And there may be some of you going like, I can't even, I don't even, I don't know anything about this guy, Simon Peter. But um, let's just review. So what's in the Peter dossier? What is, what is in the Peter portfolio? What are some things that come to mind really quick about Peter, like stories maybe? Denying three times. Impulsive. Walked on water, walked on water, walked on water. Three of you. What's that? Ear cutter. Ear cutter. <laughs> Chopping off. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a headline in the paper about a month ago about somebody in this region who, who, who bit someone's face, and I was like, face biter. But Peter, Peter was an ear biter, you know, so it's two different categories of criminals. Um, ear cutter, not biter. Um, so what else? Anything else? Fisherman? Clean versus unclean. Acts chapter maybe 13 or something or 11. The Rock of the Church. Yeah. I mean, what's that? Pentecost. Pentecost. Yeah, Peter had a role there. So, I mean, some of you are going like, "Uh, I don't, am I supposed to know all this? No, it's okay. It's okay. We got a lot of Bible nerds in the house here, so, including myself. The one thing about Peter, Simon Peter, that's really interesting, you can call him interchangeably Simon Peter because Jesus added the Peter part when he um, told him he would be the rock of the church. The one thing about Peter is that universally, all those messages that you've heard, I, I, don't, I think almost always there is a sense of relatability to Peter. When we think about Peter, when we study Peter, when we, we read, just casually reading any single story about Simon Peter, there is this feeling that you are just drawn in personally. People do not approach the stories about Peter kind of like detached and sterile or academic. We're drawn in. There's a humanness. You're drawn in in a way that's interesting, in a way that we aren't usually drawn in with the Pope, right? It's almost the opposite. We're usually with the, with the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. It's kind of like, you know, this, this way up there figure that's very, you know, behind glass, literally, you know, and, and in white robes and very unhuman, unlayperson like Peter's doesn't seem to be that kind of person. Well, when we get into Peter, when we start saying, like, what did we learn from all these stories about Peter? I think one of the most interesting things is that he's a 10% kind of person. I was at a, uh, an event for my son's high school. I have four kids. They're all in different classes. They're in three different schools. And so there's all these chances for parents to volunteer. And I was at some event at this high school. I was volunteering. And this other volunteer who I noticed, hey, I've seen you at all of the things so far. And he says, yeah, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So that was his phrase. And I'm thinking Peter is a 10% person. You can see it. In all those stories you mentioned, Peter is jumping in. He's saying, I'm the first one to show up and the last one to leave. You know, I was a basketball player. That was always what was, was the ideal, you know, for that sport is the first one in the gym, the last one out of the gym. You know, you speak almost, almost with sanctimonious language when you mention someone like that there. They work so hard. That's Peter. And personally, I really love Peter's 
I love the Simon Peter types in the church. It works well to have some of those folks. A lot of you are those folks or have been those folks at different times. At one point, we started City Life Church and had our first worship services in 2007. And it got really discouraging and hard at different times. It was extremely painful to see people leave. It was extremely nerve-wracking to wonder if anyone was going to show up except my own family. So we had to keep having kids so that the church would grow. <laughs> you know? And, but, you know, it's like people were wondering, am I going to have to go to this place and sit next to the pastor's family again? But in those years, in that discouragement, at one point I had a list written on this little card, and it was in my desk. I knew right where it was hidden, and on a discouraging day, I could pull it out. And guess what's on that list? It's basically 10 or 12, 10% type people. <laughs> and just saying, hey, when I moved to Sacramento, I didn't know anybody. And look at you know, look what, who God can bring. And so if I'm discouraged and there's low attendance or no one, I think it's not going to happen. Next week, another, you know, more of these people might come. It was so encouraging to think about the 10% type people who just come and sacrifice and serve. And that was Peter. And that might be something that you relate to. And yet for three years, Peter was this model volunteer, and yet we really get the sense that it wasn't enough. If you pay close attention... All those stories have a little bit of an aspect like something's missing with Peter. He's, something's off. I don't know if Peter gets it. And yet he's so sure he gets it. And so on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appears and he's bright and shiny and he seems to be with Moses and Elijah and Peter says, I got it. Let's erect some tents here, um, some tabernacles in, in the three of you, and it's good for us to be here. And then the, the passages, the, the writers of this story say in parentheses, it's one of the few times I've ever seen this in the Bible, they say, like to explain his crazy comment, they say, he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> that, that's it. Just like, he didn't know what he was saying. Just like, he was, Peter was nuts. There's another story um, where he's walking on water, and what does he do? How, what happens when he starts to walk in water? Mm-hmm. He kind of starts to he starts to sink. It's almost like that scene in Star Wars when Luke can't quite focus and get the, you know, the, the spaceships going up, and Yoda's like, "Why did you doubt?" You know, it's a, it's like Jesus has the same thing. Why did you doubt? You know, it's a Star Wars token, Star Wars reference. But it's like Peter. You know, there's something missing for Peter, and then you see it again in the um, mentioned the story of the ear slicing off. You know. Jesus is being captured by soldiers. I got this, Jesus. And, you know, I'm, I'm a 10 percenter. I'm going to do it all. I, I got this. But there's something off because Jesus says, no, uh-uh, no. And he, you know, and he heals the ear. Something's off. Peter's not getting it at different points. And that can happen. It's really common, actually, with 10 percent type people. When I was in seminary, I didn't quite know what this meant, but there was this message to us, you know, you're being trained to go be ministers and pastors in churches, and a lot of times that's in different places, in country towns and villages and so forth. So there's this old saying that really didn't apply anymore because um, it relates to train travel, but, but this, was, this was the old saying was that beware of the people who meet you at the train station. <laughs> you know, when you've been got this job at this new place, you get the little sense of like, and maybe you don't, maybe you just got to stew on that, but the sense of like 10% people over eager 
you almost start to say, what's your angle? And you wonder, what's underneath all that angsty, volunteering energy? In the story that we were reading right here in John 21, it's post, post-resurrection story, and you can see it. It's still in full force with Peter because um, <laughs> you can see two examples of it. They're great. It's just great Simon Peter volunteering energy. As soon as Simon Peter, uh, verse, verse 7, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full. I mean, you just get to say, I mean. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, to all of them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. Right? He said it to them. Who pulled all 153 heavy fish to the, Peter, all by himself. You just get this sense of it's still all the way right up to this story at the very end. Peter is just, he's, I think there's something churning underneath all this volunteering energy. I think he's, he's in a place where he's, he's so overeager, he doesn't even understand what's going on under the surface. Maybe my actions can finally qualify me to be worthy. I think, I think that's, just in all of us, there's some of that. How are, how are you operating out of some inner message of unworthiness and qualifying and maybe, maybe, just maybe, if I push a little harder, maybe if I put myself forward. You know, in what places in your life are you, are you doing that same impulse? Operating out of a sense of being unworthy and trying to volunteer your way out of it. And what might you be missing, in a sense? Is there something essential missing? Well, we can see with Peter, we actually, you actually get a pretty strong hint of what he is missing. In a couple of the key stories, one of them is where Jesus asks um, the disciples who, who people are saying that Jesus is, and Peter eventually says, you know, in Peter fashion, jumping in to be the one that speaks, the one that volunteers, the one with the right answer, and he says that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus compliments him very highly and says, um, this answer can only come from above. It was given to you, and on Peter, I'm going to call you Peter now, and on this rock I will build my church. I mean, this, he's elevating Peter. He's elevating the answer. He's saying, good work. You did it. It's a great answer. And in the next, this is Matthew chapter 16, in the very next interaction... Jesus explains the central direction of his ministry to go and to suffer and to die on the cross and to rise from the dead. And Peter says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, um, if Jesus ever appears to you and calls you Satan, <laughs> I, just, I just want you to just think about the, the possibility that you may have said something a little bit off. Right? I mean, how much more obvious can you be that Peter is off? He's so full of energy. He's so full of the Sunday school answer and the try hard and the thing that that even people in volunteering at school know that, you know, the best of the best, the 10%. Everyone in our world knows this. Peter knows this, and yet it's not central. And in in his obsession with being a 10% person, 
he's in that, he's missing the big point somehow. He's missing it. There's no clue. Eventually, um, we mentioned the three denials. Eventually, Peter's uh, kind of, kind of sneakily wandering in, watching what's happening to Jesus as Jesus goes in in Matthew 20, 26 to the trial before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. And, and then Peter now sees, I mean, he's said confidently, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'll never deny you. And that was when he thought that it was going one direction. But when he sees that the path really is towards risk, suffering, struggle, um, potentially even death, when he sees the stakes that now and where, Jesus, where this has gotten Jesus, suddenly he denies him three times. He even calls down curses on his third denial. It's not even acceptable for me to use the words here that Peter used to deny Jesus that third time. Tempted to, just to make an effect. Not acceptable in public speaking situations to say what Peter said the third time he denied Jesus. Peter's missing, in both of those stories, the issue is he's missing the central direction of Jesus' ministry. Where Jesus, something about how Jesus needs to go to the vulnerable, suffering path. He needs to go himself, he needs to go before us, and he needs to die and rise from the dead. And Peter is missing that, completely missing that. Now, the good news is that just a few in our Bible, just a few pages later, we, we see that there is a massive turnaround the good news is Peter gets it. Something clicks, something changes. And we see suddenly in Acts chapter 4, I'll read a couple of verses from verse 13. We see after all of this has happened and Jesus has ascended, then we read this. There, you know, there's, there's a public kind of exchange where the Christian movement is getting voice and it's very public and it's in Jerusalem and Peter and John are at the center of it. And then these religious officials are checking it out and it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And then, um, and then this is what it says in just a few verses later, in verse 18. When, then they called in Peter and John. It says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or pre teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's like they're just like containment. Peter, you're speaking too much about Jesus now. We liked it better when you denied him. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, there's these threats. They call him in again, command him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, and this is threats like, we'll do to you what we did to Jesus, they, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened because the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So, Peter got it. Something shifted. Suddenly he's, sure, I'll speak. That was in front of the Sanhedrin. It was the same group that Jesus went to trial before. And that's how Peter now talks. What happened? How did Peter change? I think our answer, as we close... I think our answer is in the story that Karen read for us in John, John chapter 21. 
I think the answer comes, especially, I think this is ground zero for Peter's transformation. So if you want to know, where does the transformation happen? And what is the message for all of us of just the life of Peter? We look at the most transformative moment, and I think it's this restoration passage in John 21 where Jesus restores Peter. And there's three phrases, I think, that really jump out. The first two kind of come together. The first two are, follow me and feed my sheep. So follow me, what these two sentences, follow me and feed my sheep, it's restoration. It's returning to, no, Peter, you're not disqualified because of the denial. Follow me harkens back to the first thing that we learn was said to Jesus, or to Peter by Jesus. The first initial call, come on, follow me, I want you. So here we are again at the end, after the denial, and there it is again, that reassurance, follow me, I want you, follow me. We're back where we are, the denial didn't screw anything up. And then the words feed my sheep and take care of my lambs, it's said three different ways, but the point is, the overarching dominating narrative or um, metaphor in the Bible for leadership is shepherd. This is a leadership transition in the life of the church and of the Jesus movement. And Jesus is saying, I need you. So it's not just to be a follower. It's the call's still there, follow me. But it's also you're going to have to lead. You're going to have to fill some big shoes here, Peter. This is epic. This is incredible. Peter's denial on all scales, on all measurements that we would have today, Peter was a failure and he had been disqualified from being helpful in the mission of Jesus. Not according to Jesus, though. This is a massive statement to say that your, his, Peter's denial did not disqualify him whatsoever. Well, so then how is he qualified? How is Peter qualified to step into this moment? And I think the answer is found in one other very brief sentence very brief reference in verse 14 of chapter 21 where it says, in the middle of verse 17, Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. The reason I think that's important is because now Jesus has had this threefold restoration. He asked him three times to match up with the threefold denial. It's a full restoration. But as Jesus is doing that, he's also taking Peter deeper into his failure than Peter wants to go, and it's painful. And this is how it works, through the one who goes ahead of us into pain and suffering and then rises from the dead. Jesus' death and resurrection assures us that we can go deeper into our failures and unworthiness than we ever want to go because he's going to take us higher into, into our value before him now because of the cross than we ever imagined. So Jesus takes Peter and us deeper into our hurt. He wants to go into, he wants to go deeper into his sin than he wants to go so that grace can get deeper into his life than it's ever gone. And that's true of us that God wants to take you deeper into your sin than you want to go so that grace can, can go as deep as it needs to go. And most of us are so resistant for, for grace to get as deep as it needs to get. We don't want to go deep into these things. 
But then our, what we have is shallow. What we have is our mantle of our 10% trophies. But we haven't, we haven't gotten it yet. We haven't gotten that as Jesus goes into suffering, he goes for us so that we can put our awards and our 10% aside and rest on the borrowed treasure given to us of the cross. So Peter must learn what we all must learn is that we do not qualify ourselves. We only have any hope after Jesus goes before us to the cross in the empty tomb. And then we can rest on his borrowed credentials. And that's the gospel. Peter is convinced going into the, the seaside story with the fish and the campfire and the breakfast. He's convinced that his denial has disqualified him up to this point. But maybe he can work his way back. He's convinced he has been disqualified. But you know what the message of Peter's life is? That your greatest failures will never disqualify you. And your greatest accomplishments will never qualify you either. That you must borrow the credentials of Jesus who goes before you into suffering and pain. And then the irony is that then as we are relieved of that pressure to stay above the fray and to stay strong and victorious and to avoid the hurtful, suffering path, when we're freed from that, then, and a lot of you know this because of your life, then we find that we actually meet Jesus, not in avoiding suffering and struggle, but in it. And that's the gospel. And that's the message of Peter. Let us pray. Our God of grace, Peter is a funny character. We love to laugh at Peter. We love to laugh with Peter. We see uh, all of ourselves and all of our foibles in Simon Peter's life. Pray that you would help us to see you now as we walk on on this journey of faith. That we would hear the call to follow and that we'd be curious about all the ways in which we're just not getting it. <laughs> and that's okay, because Peter didn't get it for a long time. But may we be just a little bit curious about how you are opening up a world of freedom before us. And may we seek it out through the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.